You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. The atonement is one of the most important, beautiful, and powerful doctrines in Scripture. Now, when I say doctrine, remember that just is a word that means teaching. It's a teaching. The doctrine of the atonement. When we begin this series right now, I want to start with a question too. Okay, so I've said the word atonement. Atonement has been displayed on the screen as it is now. Question for you. Could you right now define the atonement? Okay, so person comes up to you on the street and said, hey, I understand you go to church. I think I've seen a couple of things. You, you're a professed Christian. Uh, this, the, this atonement thing, could you tell me what, what is that? Could you do it right now? Could, could, could you and I put into words biblically what the atonement is? And I, I like asking these questions because right away it's going to reveal some need in our lives. And it's going to right away reveal maybe where we are, where we need to go, and kind of what the Lord wants to teach us. And I hope right now, even as we begin, I hope it's creating us maybe a renewed hunger or interest or curiosity on, again, the, on one of the most important truths found within the Christian faith. So as we approach Easter this year, we're going to take and use this season to our advantage. We are in Lent right now. We are a few weeks away from celebration of Easter and Good Friday, of course, and we're going to take advantage of this by joining together on a journey towards the cross. We're going to go and pray for a tremendous reverence and to pray for a tremendous sober-mindedness on the realities of what Christ did for us uh, again. So we're going to take the next five weeks. We're culminating on Good Friday in this series to unpack this incredible doctrine. Some of you right now would say, okay, um, why are we doing this exactly? I've kind of answered it already, but let me just unpack that fully. Why are we doing this? Three main reasons. Uh, they are, uh, constitute three R's. Uh, what else is new? All right? And the first one is this. We do this series because we are seeking a revelation of truth. A revelation of truth. The reality is, some of us right now, uh, we cannot articulate what the atonement is. Let's change that. Let's change that. Uh, You are a professing believer. You need to be able to express what the atonement is. We're going to change that even today, Lord willing, as we pay attention. Uh, Secondly, we are seeking right now, we are seeking to see reverence of the soul. We want to grow in our reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what I know. Some right right now, uh, some of us will come in here and we're distracted. We are distracted with the world. Our lives are spinning around again in chaos like they might normally be. We're too distracted away from what's most important. Some of us right now, we are discouraged. You have walked in here for the different reasons of life, the different things that are going on. You are discouraged. You are fighting some feelings of depression. Uh, There's a sense of despair. And you are discouraged. And the Lord is going to meet you today with his truth that overcomes and is the antidote to levels of discouragement. Thirdly, there's some people here right now, and just, we're honest, you're just indifferent. When it comes to the cross, you might say, yeah, yeah, I know that. I've known that for years. But it's really here, but it's not, look, look, it's not here. There's no real love. There's no real affection. There's no sense of emotion. There's no contrition. There's no brokenness. There's just indifferent. You say, Robbie, how do you know? Because I know my own heart. I'm telling you, man, there is, there is there's no greater way 
to start to destroy elements of distraction and discouragement and indifference than going to the cross. Let's say the cross is over here. The closer you and I genuinely draw to the cross, the smaller we become. This is what happens. If you start approaching the cross, the cross is up there. I love that so much on our stage. You start walking towards the cross. Here's what starts to happen, okay? I'm getting old. My knees hurt a little more, so it's harder to do. But this is what happens, okay? As you walk, you start to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And the amazing part is the smaller you become by the cross, the more satisfied you feel. The meaning of life starts to unfold. The smaller you are at the cross, you are there and you realize Jesus Christ is everything I've ever needed. That's what we're praying for. We are praying for revelation of truth, the reverence of the soul, and this, the restoration of joy. I mean, David prays, he prays in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy, listen, not my salvation, your salvation, God. And how many of us Desire to see the restoration of joy in our lives again, centered on the salvation that God has given to us. Now, when it comes to the atonement, it is a vast, complex, and rich and deep doctrine. The treasures of the atonement are seemingly unending when you seek to unpack it biblically. So for the sake of our series, we're going to take the treasure of the atonement... And we're going to examine four specific jewels in the next few weeks, Lord willing. Now, before we go any further, I've said the word so many times, atonement. Some of you are like, what is that? So let's get a definition so we can all get on the same page, taking nothing for granted right now. What is the atonement? Wayne Gruden provides this definition in a base form, okay? Atonement in its base means to make amends. And the atonement when it comes to Christ, what he did for us, is the work Christ did in his life, living a perfect life as the Lamb of God, and then dying as the Lamb of God. Why? To atone for our sins, to earn our salvation. The atonement is what Christ did to earn what we could not. Let me just take a moment right now. If you're here right now and you think you can earn your salvation, you think wrong. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot do enough good deeds to become perfect. We'll get to that in a few moments before God. Only Christ can earn our salvation. Again, atonement is to make amends. Uh, I saw this other definition this week as well. I thought it was cute, but again, it's also important. So if you break down the word atonement, this is to help us remember, at one mint, meaning this, again, through the atonement, what Christ did to earn our salvation, we can, now I emphasize can be made one with God because it doesn't guarantee we are. You only, receive, you only receive salvation by the gift of grace through faith. Christ died for our sins, but you gotta receive the gift. So his death on the cross makes it possible for us to be at one with God if we receive what he has done for us by grace through faith, the atonement. That is our definition, getting on the same page together. But here's a good question. Why was the atonement necessary? Why did Christ have to earn our salvation? I want to put four reasons on the screen for you right now. This is incredibly important based foundation of theology for every human being who's ever lived. Okay, four reasons, 
why the atonement had to happen. Number one, we deserve to die as the penalty for our sins. We have sinned against a holy God. Sin must be dealt with. Every human being ever born is a sinner. If you don't think you're a sinner, just ask anyone who's known you for, let's say, mm, five minutes, and they'll tell you you're a sinner, okay? And the reality is we deserve death as a result of our sin against God. Secondly, the atonement's necessary because we deserve to bear God's wrath against sin. God being holy, there must be justice. Sin has to be accounted for. God's wrath and punishment will come against sin. We are responsible for our sin. We deserve to come under the wrath of God as a result. Thirdly, this explains to us we are separated from God by our sins. God is holy over here in Genesis 1 and 2. We are in relationship with God. Sin comes and destroys that relationship. God is here now. We are by ourselves, and the chasm of sin is in between. We are separated from God, and we cannot on our own get back. Fourthly, we are in bondage, therefore, to sin and the kingdom of Satan. It's one of the realities we see all around us every day. This is the devastating consequence. Now, let me just point this out. When you see the four reasons the atonement was necessary, if you want to be saved, you have to understand these truths. You're like, well, this is pretty bad news. I know, I know. But unless you know the bad news, you will not understand the good news. Unless you comprehend. Every single person who's ever been truly saved in Jesus Christ must come to the point where they recognize, I am in trouble. This is my reality. You don't try to deny it. You don't try to self-esteem it. You don't try to get over it. You recognize and admit, I am a sinner who needs a Savior. I'm even right now, I don't know who's here right now. I don't know how you got here. I don't know who's visiting. I don't know how many times you come to church. I don't know if you've been to church a lot, but you've never really. When you come, young people, old people, when you come to this reality that this is you and me, this is when life can change. This is when you start to realize, I can't do this. I need someone beyond myself. So this could be the most important news you've ever heard, as much as it's bad, because now it sets up the good news. Next slide, okay? Let's watch this. This is going to be our series outline, Lord willing, over the next month, okay? So what does Christ do on the cross? Why is the atonement so important and so precious? Well, number one, he provides the solutions, again, to our greatest needs. So we deserve to die... Jesus becomes our sacrifice. That's today's message. We deserve to bear God's wrath. Jesus comes and he becomes our propitiation. You're like, propitiation, what? We'll get to that in this series. Propitiation is the theological term that says Jesus took on um, God's wrath for sin so we would not have to. Astoundingly beautiful love and doctrine of God there within the cross and the atonement. We were separated from God. Jesus becomes our reconciliation. He is the one where we're separated from God because of the cross, right? Because of the cross, we now transfer back over from death to life to be with God because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And fourthly, we are in bondage to sin. Jesus redeems us from sin and Satan. This is our outline for this series. And notice up here, I wrote this in, okay? Success in this series, loved ones, success in this series is to be able to know this and teach this 
and love this. To describe the four words of the atonement, if God starts to grow this in your heart and mind, there will be a new love coming from your life, a new sense of discipleship and appreciation and humility and gratitude. Success is being able to walk this through biblically, to teach others, and to love God more in your life and mine. Take that seriously. We are being discipled right now. This is a discipleship session in the Word of God. It's beautiful. It's powerful. There's so much opportunity right here. So this is what we seek to do. Thank you for your patience with that introduction. It's so important. I hope you understand that as you hear it. We get on the same page, and now we are ready then for our first message within the atonement. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. I hope there's an expectancy growing. Let's see who can get there first. Maybe you want to race your neighbor. And real Bibles can outdo electronic Bibles. That would be awesome, all right? Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 11. Remember, our theme today now is we deserve to die. Jesus is our sacrifice. We deserve death. Jesus is our sacrifice. Uh, Hebrews 10 verse 11 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, notice, which can never take away sins, but, all God's people said, but, yes, thank you. But, notice, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. Awesome. Verse 14, here we go. For by a single, look at the theology in this verse. For a, by a single offering, Jesus Christ, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Okay? At the heart of the atonement is the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Here's what we see. So we're going to take the theme of sacrifice through these three verses and build a context around it. This takes us to point number one. What do we learn about sacrifice in this passage? Number one, we see first an insufficient sacrifice uh, by man or of man. We see an insufficient sacrifice. Sacrifice. Look at verse 11 again. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same services. Here's the problem. Here's the lack of sufficiency, which can never take away sins. So right away in verse 11, I want you to notice the uh, three phrases here. Notice, stands daily, the priest does. Notice, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. And then again, notice the lack of result, which can never take away sins. So in verse 11, you have a thesis of insufficiency stated three times. Or you have a thesis of insufficiency stated with three different phases. Or phrases. So let's notice again, in the context of Hebrews chapter 10, to understand Hebrews chapter 10, it's a contrast ultimately of the old covenant versus the new covenant. In fact, the entire book of Hebrews really is communicating, listen, the insufficiency of old religion. 
And this is why Christ has come with the new covenant to die on the cross. Let's look at this. Let's be good Bible students right now. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Let's just get our context. I pray this will encourage you. In chapter 10, verse 1, notice it says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead, notice, of the true form of these realities, ready? It can never by the same sacrifices, make perfect those who draw near. Now notice this. The author of Hebrews is saying the law or the old covenant is a shadow of the true realities that are yet to come. Think of what a shadow is. Like I can see my shadow right now because of the lights that are around me. And I see my hands waving and right there on the floor. And a shadow is insubstantial. A shadow, I can see the shape and the outline uh, within my silhouette, but the shadow gives me an idea of what it might look like, but it's not the real thing. It helps us to see some of what we can expect, and again, it helps us to see shape, but really, it's so hard to see the true detail. A shadow is a, is a representation of what is real, but the shadow's not this. Like, this is real. Like, actual, real. But the shadow is not. The old covenant, the law, was an insubstantial, again, shadow, giving us a bit of an outline of what the new covenant would look like, but is not the new covenant, is not reality in itself. Look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 10. Notice it says there, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins Every year. Now, what's the problem in the old covenant, old sacrificial system? Every year, you're sacrificing animals for sins. What's the problem of that? Well, you come back year after year, and you see the animals sacrificed, and you're like, huh. Well, I guess that means as I see more animals being sacrificed, I guess sin's not fully paid for then. And you come back the next year. Maybe this year will be the year there's no more sacrifices. But there they are again. Sacrifice again. And the animal sacrifices are the present reminder that sin has not been fully dealt with. Why has sin not been fully dealt with? The answer is in verse 4. Look at verse 4. For it is impossible. Last time I checked impossible meant impossible. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away, to fully atone for sins. You see the insufficiency of the old covenant system. Look at verse 9 now. In verse 9 it says there, Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. Notice, I'm going to do away with the first old covenant in order to establish the second covenant. What is that telling us right here? The old covenant, the religion in itself, the, the effort of man, it is temporary. It is insufficient. It is incomplete. Now notice our verse. Look at, look, at, look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, by the way, if you want to grow in God's word right now, you have every single opportunity to do so. If you want your life to change right now, you have every opportunity by God's spirit for that to happen. If you are eager and hungry and desires to see God renew and stoke your fire of passion for the Lord Jesus Christ, he is absolutely teeing this up for you right now. Like lives can be changed and hearts can be stirred and minds can be renewed. And glory can be given through your life right now as we put away the world and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have every opportunity right now for that to happen. God, give us hungry hearts and give us humble hearts. Give us hearts of holiness right now as we understand the profundity of what the Lord is explaining to us right now. It's incredibly beautiful. No greater truth. Look at verse 11. 
and every priest, notice the contrast here, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly, it says right there. But notice the contrast of verse 12. We'll get to there in a minute, but I just want to see it. In verse 12 it says, and Christ though, Christ sat down. The priest is standing daily. Christ sat down. Now, why is that significant? Remember, in the holy places of the tabernacle, there wasn't even a chair. And the reason there wasn't a chair, listen, under the old covenant, the work was never done. There was never rest within the old covenant system of religion. Why was the work never done? Because the work was never completed. So what do we see? The priest stood daily. He stood daily as a reminder of what they were doing. Again, notice the consequence found in verse 11. Verse 11 says, which can never, last time I checked, never meant never, which can never take away or atone for sins. Do you see this, loved ones? Do you see the necessity of the atonement? The atonement was 100% necessary because we cannot take away our own sins. Again, who's here right now? I'm not sure God does. Maybe you walked in here right now, and in fact, I'm positive some did. You walked in here today, and you believe, if I'm a good enough person, I can remove my sins. No, you cannot. You will never be good enough. God demands perfection. You're like, yeah, but I've been trying really hard, man. It's been a good year so far, 2019, man. I'm on a bit of a roll. That's great. You will never be good enough. There will never be enough good deeds. There will never be enough striving. There will never be enough satisfaction made by your life because we are sinful. And you have to see, one of the greatest points of love I can say to you right now is you will never be able to take away your own sins. We are utterly dependent upon a Savior who is greater than ourselves, who can perform the perfect sacrifice that we might be saved from all our sins and therefore gain entrance into glory by not our own merit, by the merit of another, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, again, the Lord Almighty himself. We need atonement. Now consider what the author of Hebrews is doing too as he comes to this stage in the book. I mean, he's, he's speaking primarily to Jewish believers and saying, listen, do not leave. Do not leave the new covenant for the old. Man, the old, again, it's passing away. Now consider the context. Consider all the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Let's highlight a few. Let's take Genesis 3 when God kills an animal and puts skins on Adam and Eve to atone for their original sin. Uh, let's think of uh, Abraham and Isaac, and God said to go sacrifice Isaac. At last, a ram is provided, and the glory at that moment is the ram is sacrificed, and the life is spared. Let's think of the blood on the doorposts of Egypt, and that initial Passover, and the incredible, momentous event that was as God spared his people, and as the Egyptians underwent, again, punishment for their sin, the sacrifice. Let's think of the Old Testament, the thousands and, you could say, millions of lambs that have been sacrificed through the centuries in order to be a see atonement made for their sins, but in the end are temporary. The author of Hebrews says all those incredible sacrifices, all of them put together in the end are absolutely insufficient. They will not ultimately satisfy the Lord. There's a greater sacrifice that needs to take place. 
All of those other sacrifices in the end, they are insufficient. All our sacrifices in the end are insufficient because they are of man. We will never gain entrance to heaven, to glory, to salvation on our own. We need a savior. Now, one of the things I hope you noticed already is in this series, we are going to double down with songs that are so relevant to our series. Um, I've had a bit of a head start on this, and I was thinking through this doctrine. My mind is renewed again. I'm very, very excited about it. It's powerful. And some of my favorite hymns came coming up. One of them is Rock of Ages. And, and I want you to see how powerful. This is verse 2 of, of this great hymn. I want you to see how just pertinent this is to us right now. Notice the author of the song says, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. I mean, I could work as hard as I want for my whole life, nonstop, never sleep. I would never be able to perform enough labor to fulfill the law of God, which demands perfection. In fact, I could have a zeal that never knew respite, that I could have unending passion flowing from my life and zeal for God and just never, ever rest from that, but just, and continue to give and give and give and give and give. I could cry my face off forever. I could weep and weep and weep and surely say, God, you're seeing my contrition, my brokenness, and my tears. Surely if I flow tears forever, this will work, but it won't work. Why? Because all for sin, none of these things could ever, now the word's popping out, atone. All for sin, these could not atone. Why, why, why? Because you must save. You must save, and thou, and you, and you alone. Only, only Jesus Christ can make ultimate atonement for our sins. See, the insufficient sacrifice of man, but, but now we come to point number two, and here's the good news. It points to the all-sufficient sacrifice in Christ. Look at verse 12 now, Hebrews chapter 10. Ready? But, that is one of the great buts of the Bible right there. But, notice what's said. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. Again, look at the contrast of verse 11. He sat down at the right hand of God. The astounding power of the atonement. Notice, but when Christ had offered. Now, here's the contrast of what, loved ones? The contrast of the lamb and the goats contrasted with now the lamb of God. Why did John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins, who atones for the sins of the world. John the Baptist knew of all the lambs that have gone before in the physical animal sense. Now you have the sacrifice of God. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. The sacrifice of God. Hey, young people here today, maybe there's some people in grade 6 or grade 7, grade 8. Can, can, can you answer this question? Why is Jesus Christ called the Lamb of God? Now, I just kind of gave you the answer, but I, I want you to sit in this. Uh, 12-year-olds right now. 13-year-olds, 14 just right now, honestly, I, I, I speak to you right now. Could you explain to me why Jesus is called the Lamb of God? You got to know this, man. You got to, I mean, you, you could say Jesus is called the Lamb of God because he is the sacrifice of God himself. God sent his son 
in the metaphorical sense of becoming a lamb, that when God sacrifices his son, it's a perfect sacrifice. And when Jesus is sacrificed, there is no sacrifices ever needed again because the lamb of God has been slain. And therefore, again, when God's sacrifices is made, there's never a sacrifice needed again. Behold the lamb of God. Young person, can you explain that to me now? Can you write that down and understand that you might know, and whether that saves you today or saves you sometime in the future, when you understand you need a Savior, you need a Lamb. His name is Jesus Christ. And you make sure you take the time to sit here and learn and absorb and love how God could change you in that regard. Notice in verse 12, Christ had offered for all time a single Sacrifice. Look at, look at the impact of that truth. Literally the millions of lambs sacrificed previously. Now ready? One lamb for all time in a single sacrifice. You know, we're getting close to Good Friday and you think of what happened on Good Friday itself in the original Good Friday. Jesus Christ is dying on the cross at that exact time, man. On the, Jesus just happened to die at Passover. Huh, imagine that. And at the exact time as he's dying on the cross at Golgotha, just steps away. You have the lambs being slaughtered in the temple and all the blood that is flowing down from that. And yet when the blood of the lamb of God is shed, there will never be needed another lamb ever to be sacrificed again because you have the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ where sins are atoned for because Jesus became our substitution. Notice also in verse 12, he sat down. Now, circle that if you want to. Contrast that, draw a little line, to standing daily in verse 11. I love that. Jesus sat down. Why? Because the work was done. He sat down because atonement had been made. He is our sacrifice. Consider the impact of Jesus sitting down. This is why Jesus sat on the cross when he's dying. He says, it is finished. Imagine those words. It is finished. What's finished? Sin has been paid for. Atonement complete. Remember, at that moment, Jesus dies, and a few moments later, the temple curtain is torn from top to bottom. Now, you have to imagine there were some priests working in the temple at that time. And you have to imagine as they're doing their duties, and you have a 60-foot-high curtain, which is six inches thick, which separates the Holy of Holies from the holy place, the most sanctified, sacred part of the Jewish people, and you're there on that Good Friday, and you got some duties, and all of a sudden, this curtain, six inches thick, six stories high, tears from top to bottom, and you're going like, you know, like, you, you're, you see this happening, and you got to be kind of wondering to yourself, it's like, Wow, that seems like a bit of a big deal. And then like this Jesus guy was claiming to be Messiah, and he's out there, and he died, and he said he would come. To, I don't know, maybe I should pay attention to that. I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe. And then you have the Roman soldiers standing by the cross of Jesus Christ, and the earthquake, and the, and the sky goes dark, and, all, and he sits there, and he says, surely, surely this was the Son of God. And you got to be in that moment. you got to sit there, and you look, and you got to say, yes, yes. Like, Jesus is God. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is the one who makes atonement for our sins. He is the all-sufficient sacrifice. And therefore, access to God 
is permanently now established, at least until Jesus returns again, as we will see in our text today. See what's happening here, man? Because of the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he is offering spiritual rest to all who believe. I mean, who's here right now, and you are so restless. You are so miserable. You are so distraught. You cannot find peace. You've been searching your whole life. You know what Jesus says in Matthew 11? Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Ready? Here's the promise. And I will give you rest. He says, you come to me and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is not saying, hey, I'll give you a nice, I'll give you a nice physical nap for a couple hours if you come to me. No, no, no. He's saying, I will give you rest from all guilt. I will give you rest for, he's talking about salvation. I will give you rest for your souls. See again, we can't do it, loved ones. We can't do it. Some of us have been trying way too long on our own to achieve something only Christ can. Again, this is when the music man starts to really explode from the page. I was thinking about the hymn, Jesus Paid It All This Week. I want you to see this right here. Look at the words now, and I pray they resonate so strongly for some of you right now that are here. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. The Lord says that to some of us right now. He's like, listen, man, your strength will never do it. Stop trying so hard. Do you think you can really overcome? Do you think you can really fix your whole life? You hear the Savior say right now, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, would you just watch and pray? Child of weakness, child of frail, frailty, child of depravity, child of ultimate insufficiency. Will you just watch and pray? And will you find out that in me is thine all in all? Will you find out that I'm the sufficient one? I mean, who is he saying that to right now? Who's here right now for that word right now from the Lord? That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you and you know it. And you know it. Stop trying. Stop trying to be the Savior. You can't do it. It's impossible. Only Jesus can save. Lord, now, and here's a response of someone who understands. Lord, now indeed I find. I'm done, God. I give up. I surrender. I repent. I need you. Now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper spots. Parents, stop trying to save your kids. You can't do it. Jesus can. You can't change leopard spots. Don't put some makeup version upon a corpse, okay? And pretend that they're in Christ when they're not. Jesus Christ is the one who only can save. Only he can change the leopard spots and melt the heart of stone. He's the one. He's the, the sufficiency. And so the, course, the verse of the chorus comes up and says this, Jesus paid it all. See, see here we go. God, lead us to this point. Lead us to this point where everything else is, is just behind us and all the distractions and all the discouragement and all the indifference and we can look up together corporately as his church filled by his spirit and say, Jesus, you paid it all. You, everything I owe to you, everything I owe, everything, everything I owe to you. Sin had killed me. Sin had put me in hell. Sin had left a disgusting stain upon my life, but you, the only part I like about winter is this metaphor right here, but you washed me as white as snow, as pure as the snow is white. My soul has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ because he is the sufficient sacrifice, Jesus Christ. 
just in case you are not already encouraged today, if some of you have walked in faint-hearted and fearful, then verse 13 is for you. Verse 13, I love that it's in here. Notice Jesus sat down the right hand of God. Why? Waiting from that time. He's waiting right now until his enemies, notice, should be made a footstool. What a great image, huh? A footstool for his feet. Jesus Christ conquered sin and death. He is waiting now for the time where he will return and everyone, everything that opposes him, not the least, which is death itself, will be absolutely and finally destroyed forever in our glorified state before the Lord Jesus Christ. You come in here today, you're fearful, you're discouraged, you need to be encouraged. Jesus Christ is waiting. When he returns, every enemy again will find their defeat before him. And because of the atonement, ready? Verse 13 says to you right now and to me right now. It says this, our victory is secured, our conclusion is written, all enemies will be destroyed. So, listen. You take verse 13 right now, and with discipline, you apply it to your life. Your circumstances, your difficulties, your trials, your suffering. What I love about this theology, it doesn't matter how bad your life is. I'm not saying I understand. What I'm saying is I understand what this is saying. And what this is saying is no matter what health crisis you find yourself in, no matter what family situation you find, no matter what work environment you find yourself in, no matter how bad you think the world has become, your reality in the Lord Jesus Christ is this. Jesus Christ is waiting to return to conquer all who oppose him. And if you are on his side, you are absolutely guaranteed victory. You will not lose. You are his. You are his child. You, because you're adopted, then you are no longer a slave to fear. No matter what your circumstance today, you can with eyes of faith look at this text and you can choose to say out loud today now is another good day okay you can choose to do that every time I start to go through this myself and say it out loud it happened last night it's happening now I'm speaking truth I'm renewing my mind I am telling myself the reality of my victory in Jesus Christ and that means as awful as I might feel and as fearful as I might be tempted by because of Jesus Christ because of my reality because of my hope Today, today, today. I'm not talking about next week. Right now in Christ, today is an awesome day. Today I am alive in Christ and I will never ever be taken from him because he has perfected me in his sight. I'm telling you, more of us need to see that. I, I, I say these things out loud. Maybe not as loud as I just did. But I say these things out loud to myself to remind myself of my reality. And I'm telling you, man, it is one of the greatest blows you can make to Satan when you do that. He is so, he's like, no, no, watch more TV. No, no, check your phone again, check your phone. No, 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 no. Listen to that, that crummy music. No, 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 no. Go, no, go, no, no, no. He's like, no, 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 no. And the moment you start to proclaim your life in Christ and the gospel, man, his defeat again is pronounced before him and he has no choice but to flee the situation and run for cover. Because I read yesterday, the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. And this is the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, which is built within the sufficiency of the atonement. The opportunity and the power. And that takes us to our third point, which is this. We see this now. We're gonna apply this to our lives now if we haven't already. A sacrifice that makes me perfect, makes me perfect. Notice, by faith. By faith. By faith. Now, verse 14 could change your life. Um, some of us right now, we are so guilt-ridden. Some of us right now, we are, um, have succumbed to condemnation, which is false. 
some of us right now, we are so discouraged in our sinful struggle. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, man, you have come today for verse 14. Watch, ready? For by the atonement, the single offering his sacrifice, for by a single offering, Jesus Christ the Lord, the Lamb of God, ready? Has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We'll do a little bit of a verb study right here. In verse 12, there's a verb used in the aorist past tense. But when Christ had offered, had offered, that um, recalls an action in the past which has been completed. Christ had done that for us, okay? But then when you see in verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected. The verb used there is in the perfect tense. Now listen carefully. The perfect tense means this. It signifies a completed action in the past that has an ongoing effect in the present and in the future. Okay, so what Christ had done for us on the cross by making himself a substitute, that reality of his atonement has now perfected his children, perfected his believers right now. So what that means, let me break it down right now to us so we can get it for sure, okay? Verse 14 is telling us, if you are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, because of what Christ did for you 2,000 years ago, today you stand in perfect standing before God. You are perfectly justified in Christ as though you have never sinned and as though you have always obeyed. Furthermore, because he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, you stand before Christ right now in perfect conscience before God. There is no guilt and there is no fear because all sin has been removed in terms of penalty and you know. Now here's what I want to say about this too, okay? As I go through verse 14, I will admit to you, as the pastor of this church, I struggle believing this truth. What do you mean by that? I see my sin on a daily basis. And as I was looking at this and I see my struggle and I see the things that I go, I look at verse 14, I'm just like, it's almost like I believe it here, God. But sometimes I don't believe it here. Could you really, am I really perfect in your sight? All my sin, past, present, and the future, all those sins have been paid for on the cross of every single one. I have perfect, there's no guilt ever given by you to me. And the answer is like, yes, yes. Robbie, because you've done nothing, but Robbie, because of my son, Jesus Christ, and his righteousness, Every, every time I look at you, child, every time I see you, I see perfection. I see perfect standing before me because of the atonement for your sins purchased by my son, Jesus Christ. He took every single sin you have ever committed and every single sin you will ever make. And I know, I know, child, it's hard to believe. I know, child, that in some ways you see your own system of justice and you wouldn't forgive yourself. But Robbie, I'm not you. I'm the perfect loving God. And I have declared you to be innocent forever, forever, because of my son and his blood. And the longer I sit on that, the more I'm like, I don't deserve that.
I don't even come close. I deserve death. And he's like, I know, but I love you. I love you more than you understand. And that's why I saved you. What I want you to do right now is I want you to consider your sin before Christ. I want you to take a moment to remember who you were and honestly, who we are right now. I want you to think of all the times that you have sinned in sexual lust, in awful, depraved thoughts and actions. I want you to think of all the times that greed overcomes your heart and you love the things of this earth. I want you to consider all the jealousy you feel and the envy that causes you to have bitterness and unforgiveness. I want you to consider the addictions that have devastated your life and those around you. I want you to think about, again, all the times that you have cheated governmental systems or families or at your workplace, all the different levels, again, of abuse and all the sin that comes upon us as we neglect God in love and we choose to worship idols with that. I mean, just think of all this and we go on forever and ever and ever. And all the, I want you to feel it. All of those have been against the perfect son of God and his glory. All of it. And Jesus says, if you're alive in Jesus Christ right now, he says, I've paid it all. Every single last one. Why do we still sin? We have a perfect standing before God and we are moving to perfect glory in God. In the meantime, we are seeing ourselves grow in the Lord. That's why it says in the text, those who are being sanctified. He is perfected for all time in standing, those who are being sanctified, growing in the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns and all, all will be done, all will be made right. That's the reality. Notice the last verse of Jesus paid it all here. It says it all so well. Here it is, ready? And when before the throne I stand in him complete because he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I mean, just imagine that moment. Stand in him complete, complete, complete. And the only thing we can say, the only thing, in the, it's not like, yeah, I did so great. No, no, no. Jesus died. Jesus atoned for my sins as my sacrifice on the cross and my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, Jesus paid it all, Jesus paid it all. I mean, let's, just, um, let's just bow our heads as we finish here. I wrote down three G's as a, a prayer to respond. Loved ones, maybe right now we start with, I pray that we are grieved that we don't love God more. God, make us, make us, help us to, to, to feel the grief of not, why don't we love you more? Um, forgive us, God. Sometimes we are so indifferent and distracted and discouraged. I pray we, we are grieved that we don't love you more. And Lord, I pray then we would be so overcome with gratitude. Gratitude for what you've done for us. Is there anything else in all of life and eternity that we need beyond the cross of Jesus Christ? And the answer is really no. There's nothing else we need. We don't need money. We don't need a better house. We don't need, again, situations in life to be fixed. Um, we need the gospel. We, we need salvation. And then I pray, Lord, for glory. I pray that our lives would give you glory. I pray that this church would give you glory. I pray the way we sing right now would give you glory. 
My prayer humility would be increasing. My prayer gratitude would be increasing as well. So help us now, Lord. Help us as a church. I pray such joy and such love to be given to you in the name of Jesus.